Jill's going to bring the reading straight away, and it's going to be Hebrews 11, verse 32, to chapter 12, verse 3. So if you want to have a look at that yourself, it's Hebrews 11, 32, to 12, verse 3. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, (coughs) David... Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, about, and <laughs> who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and excuse me, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemy armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them, They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Just so you know, I didn't get a chance to look at this PowerPoint on the screen before today, so some of it doesn't look right. It's not formatted right. So if you think that doesn't look very good, then just think, I'll be kind to John because he's all right usually. All right. Some of it's not formatted right. Now, what we are going to look at today are not the big names of Christianity. But I wonder, can you help me by giving me, it might seem strange that we're not going to talk about it, but I want you to list some, but can you list some big names of Christianity? Go for it. Thank you. David. David. David? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Jill. Can anyone on the other side of the room say anything to me? Solomon, love it. Say it again. Peter, sorry. Elijah, yeah. Abraham. Deborah. Deborah. Luke. Moses. Moses, yes, that's good. Yeah. John. Joseph. Mary, Abraham, ding, 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 ding. It's great. There's so many, aren't there? 
Here's a few that I've listed, because some of these are what you've thought of as well. But there's dozens of big names in Christianity. Remember, it's not formatted right. We know what it really says. It says God. Right. There is no bigger name in Christianity, I think. Maybe all of you think something differently, because did anyone say God? No. So maybe I've said the obvious, but, <laughs> but there's no bigger name, is there? No. Great. Okay, let's have a look at some more. Some of these are what you've said. Okay, it should say Abraham on one line. Thank you, Microsoft. Moses. David. Yeah, we heard that. I think we've heard all these names. And then, don't think anyone said this name. Yeah, Isaiah, okay. So Abraham, brilliant, Moses, David, Isaiah, big names in Christianity. What about these fellas? That should be on one line. That's in double Dutch, the second line. Isn't it? <laughs> so we've got John the Baptist, uh, Peter, John, Paul. All of these are like superheroes. So if you were with them in Bible times, probably underneath their tunic, they were wearing a T-shirt with a big S on it, weren't they? Because they're the superheroes, the big names, the celebrities, if you like, of Christianity. But what we want to do over the next few weeks is ignore them. Because often when we read the Bible, it is for me anyway, I read a lot of the Bible, and I think, wow, this person has got a big chunk, a whole book, or lots of chapters all about him. But what we want to do, or her, but what we want to do over the next seven weeks, today and the next seven, is think about a big hero, but a small story. And last June, when I was thinking about this, I was reading several people, and I was thinking, wow, that person's only got about five verses, but they're very impressive. They're very sort of, I want to be like them. They're attractive and they want me to be more like God because of what they did. So we're just going to look quickly at the eight people we're going to think about over the next eight weeks. So you've got what's in mind and then we'll look at the first one in a bit more depth. So we're not looking at big names, but big heroes. And so we're looking at Jethro, that's today, Nathan, Bezalel, and Hannah, with an H on the end because that's not formatted right. We're also going to look at Barnabas, Lydia, Nicodemus, and John Mark, it says. You can't see that, but John Mark. All of this, by the way, is on our website, so if you can't read it quite there, all of it is formatted right on our website in any case. These people... Jethro, Nathaniel, Bezalel, Hannah, Barnabas, Lydia, Nicodemus, John Mark. We don't really read a lot about them in the Bible. They've just got a few verses. But the thing was, all of them pointers towards God. They're all people that wanted to give God the honour and give God the glory about what was going on. And they were reflecting what God was doing. So the emphasis for the next few weeks isn't for us all to be superheroes with an S, but for us all to be faithful, or for us to be obedient, because that's what these people were like, not wanting sort of the sort of uh, 
the limelight. They were want, not wanting to be in the front and doing things for God and everyone must look at me, but just very happy about being faithful, doing what God said, and just getting on with life and helping others. And as I say, that's what I think God is calling us all to do at the moment. God is saying, listen to him, listen to God, follow what he says, and keep going. Jeffro. Now, I bet some of you have read about Jeffro in the past. You can just nod your head if you want to, if you've read about him. Yeah, a few noddings of the head, maybe if you're shaking your head a bit as well. But let's just think about who Jeffro was and where we read about him. So Jeffro, I'll put it in inverted commas, because some of the verses in the Bible don't call him Jeffro. They call him Hobab or Rule. And people think that maybe uh, Jeffro was his official name and Hobab and Rule were his more intimate names. That's sort of what some of the scholars are saying about it. But the important thing is, he's really heavily connected with Moses. And of course, someone said Moses, I think, and we all could nod our heads about Moses knowing that we know about him. Moses lived roughly around 1500, 1400 BC or thereabouts, so we think. And it's really handy, Moses' life is, because his life is split into three lovely sections of 40 years each, isn't it? Our lives are a lot more complicated than Moses, aren't they? Because we've got a bit of this and a bit of that. But I love it when it's uncomplicated and you think we've got a chunk of thing here, a chunk and another chunk, just like a, a musical comp, uh, composition. You know, have a bit of a start, something else in the middle and something else at the end. It's just really nice and easy. I like it that way. So his life is split nicely. First 40 years, he was in Egypt, growing up in Pharaoh's household. The next 40 years, he was in Midian. And then for the last 40 years, he was uh, going around the wilderness, leading the Israelites. Why did he leave Egypt? You might remember the story. It was in Exodus chapter 2, where he saw an Israelite being beaten by an Egyptian. Sort of this kind of getting boot in and all the sandal in because perhaps they didn't wear boots but they got the sandals in didn't they and really sort of got in and sort of it was beating him and so what did Moses do it was a bit hot-headed short-tempered and immature we could say he got in there as well didn't he he was trying to protect the Israelites but what happened to the Egyptian killed him he died and so what did Moses have to do? He had to flee for his life, didn't he? He sort of saw if he, because people got to hear about it. So a day or two later, he fled and he went to Midian, as we said. Now, who is he going to meet in Midian? Give me a guess. Jethro, you've been listening. Thank you very much. Because Jethro was a shepherd or a prince or a priest, people say, in Midian. And most people think that it was a tribe of, uh, a group of tribes that are on the eastern side of the Red Sea. And he f Moses fled there. And it's very interesting because in Exodus chapter 2, verse 16, we can read about the encounter a little bit. And it says in verse 16, chapter 2, now, uh, when the Bible says now, ah, uh, I think, that's got God's hand all over it. Because I don't think there's so much of a coincidence in life. 
God has got things sorted out. So we could say, it just so happened. Or, now, blah, blah, blah. But to me, the now, ah, because it says, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. God had it all sorted out. Even though Moses was fleeing for his life because he'd done something bad, God had sorted it out. It wasn't a coincidence that there was a, a, a person there with seven daughters and sheep and he needed a shepherd to look after them. It was all sorted out. God had it planned. Jethro was soon going to sort of discover more about Moses. But the interesting thing is, well, there's loads of interesting things about Jephro. I love him. He's great. The interesting thing was, Moses was running from sort of uh, the Pharaoh and Egyptians in general. And so perhaps Jephro would have found this out. If you were hiding or looking after someone who was being chased by the authorities, what would you generally do? Would you sort of say, nah, Barge pole, not touch. Uh, that's, that's the sort of thing. I'm not going to touch you with a barge pole, mate, is what I'd sort of say to some people. But if God's leading you and you give help and security and a job and somewhere to live to someone who's a stranger, someone who's from a different country, so an alien, and someone who's running away from the Pharaoh, who's this big bloke with lots of authority, you'd probably... I'm not going to sort of help you. Keep on going because I'm living a, a sort of a nice sheltered life. I've got my family, I've got my flocks. I don't want Pharaoh coming after me. And yet, God said to Jethro, look after him. Make him my shepherd. Make him a shepherd of your sheep. Give him work. Give him somewhere to live. I've got a great father-in-law. And the thing is, he doesn't sit me down and say, John, I'm going to give you some advice. He doesn't sort of every week, sort of, you've come over for your lunch. Now, the others can just go uh, out. I want you to come and listen to me because I'm going to tell you what to do. In fact, I can only remember one time that Andy, Jill's dad, gave me some advice, sort of explicitly. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what that was either. <laughs> but, but, I've got the relationship with Andy where he doesn't sit me down and say, do this, do that, do the other. But how does Andy, my father-in-law, Jill's dad, give me advice? By setting a good example. And I'm sure that's what happened for Jethro and Moses. He didn't sit him down every Saturday, just round a log fire. He said, by his life, do this, do that. Because that's the way to live. So, Jephro's qualities were something that Moses would look to and would start putting into his life. These are the verses, and there's one more underneath as well. These are the verses that are connected with Jephro. So we've got Exodus 2, verse 18, Exodus 3, verse 1, Exodus 4, verse 18, Exodus 18, verses 1 to 27. We're going to concentrate on that passage in a few moments. And then there's another one as well, which is Numbers 10, verse 29, which we can't see, as I've explained. Why is Jephro, then, such a big hero? Again, we can't perhaps read it so easily, but on the website you can. 
He gave work to Moses, who was an alien, a stranger, a refugee. He had a relationship with Moses. He didn't just see this alien and say, yeah, come and tend my sheep. But he introduced him to his daughter and said, you two are going to do well together. And then he gave him advice just at the right time. And this is what we're going to concentrate on a little bit today. So Jethro wasn't afraid to get Moses to work hard. And he wasn't afraid to let Moses marry his daughter, even though he was a stranger and an alien from a different country. And he wasn't afraid to give Moses advice. Jethro saw the positives in Moses, but he also saw Moses' biggest limitation. And you probably know what, big, Joseph, what Moses' biggest limitation was. It was Moses, wasn't it? Just like for all of us, the biggest limitation for us is ourselves. For me, I know that's true because sometimes I really reach for the sky and get halfway there. And sometimes I think, oh, I haven't got the time for this and don't even bother. Although I could do it well. And sometimes I get other people to do things and that's all great because that's an encouragement to them and get people to learn and things. But sometimes we stop ourselves from doing things. So for Moses, he was his biggest limitation and Jethro saw this. So Jethro gave him some great advice. And this is in Exodus chapter 18. Moses was trying to do everything for the Israelites. There was a lot of disputes because when you get people together, it's not always marvellous and wonderful, is it? People kind of, even in families, they sort of don't get on all the time. And so Moses thought that it was his job to listen to all the disputes, all these sort of grumblings and don't get on with him because Moses thought because he loved God's people and he loved God, it was his duty to do something about these people that weren't getting on. Now, it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But the trouble was, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites at the time, and so probably there's a good few hundred disputes every day. So, can you imagine the scene? I've got Jean and Yvette here. They don't know this is going to happen, but I like doing this sort of thing. It's a bit of a role play. So, so you're all right with this? For the uh, website, yes, they nodded their heads enthusiastically. So, Jean, I've heard you've had a problem with the vet recently. Would you like to tell me about it? She drank my Coke. <laughs> Is this true, Yvette? How can we deal with this? And you see, this sort of thing would have happened, wouldn't it? Because Moses loved the people that are there. And so it might have been about coke, it might have been about manna, it might have been about But the thing was, he was one man who couldn't do it all. He wanted to, because he knew he had God's gifts to do lots of things and to encourage people and to see them really on fire for God and to not have uh, bad things happening between people. But he couldn't do it on his own. So Jethro came along and just at the right time, he gave him some advice. He didn't say, 
get people to summarise what the problems are and then you can just say to them, this is my idea, go for it. It didn't say, don't uh, listen to people, just ignore them. It didn't say that. Can you remember what he said? Delegation. So instead of listening to people yourself, even though wouldn't it be interesting to listen a bit more about Jean's problem with Yvette, wouldn't it? <laughs> Which isn't a problem. I know it was just made up. It was all okay. But wouldn't it be interesting and helpful if you had the ear of people and, and they knew you and loved you back that you could help a lot of people? But the trouble is, because we're only one people, like we could ask Paul at length, and we're not going to, how give him some, we could give us some anecdotes about life over the last 10 years working in the church, but we're not going to do that. But we could sort of say, well, what's it like? And it's really hard. It's always about listening to others, but getting other people to listen to others as well, to delegate and to make sure that Moses wasn't doing it all by himself, but he had other people looking after 50 people or a dozen people or 100 people. It was all delegated. And that was good because then Moses had the hard decisions to make and people that were learning and growing could do the easier ones. So it was a win-win situation. Moses changed a lot while he was with Jethro. Remember, he was there 40 years. I wonder how many conversations he might have had. But I wonder how many more times that Moses saw Jethro acting in the family and doing something really special. So he was hot-headed, lost his cool in Exodus 2. But in Numbers 12, verses 1 to 3, we read this. This is a very different Moses. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Verse 3, it's in brackets, but it's ever so interesting. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I bet he got that from Jethro. I bet he saw how patient Jethro was with his seven daughters and his six sons-in-laws and seven including himself and all the sheep and all the relationships he had with other people. And he thought, that's a good thing. God, I need your help to be like Jethro. Because he's a shining light. He's shown me what a child of God should be like. And so I think Jethro had a big influence on him like that. Probably Moses didn't have the right qualities to lead Israel when he was hot-headed, when he was a young man. But God saw promise and purpose in him. He knew that years later he'd be just the right man to lead I wonder what he felt like looking after sheep. Remember, he'd grown up in Pharaoh's house. He didn't look after sheep there. I wonder what he felt like at first. So, that's a little bit about Jethro's life, how he gave advice, and not just by words, but by action. But how can we apply that to ourselves, I wonder? Now, the thing is, I've got something special down here. Would you like to look at it? This is an authentic and highly prized pirate's telescope. But it's not just a normal telescope. Because if you say something in an enthusiastic way, 
hint, hint, I'll be able to see into the future. Okay, can you guess what I want you to say? This is what I want you to say. Ha ha, Maharis. Can you say that? And then I'll be able to look through here and see something really good. Shall we try it after three? One, two, three. Well done. That's 2018. It worked. I think over the next few weeks and months in 2018, as we look into the future and see what our life is going to be like, we're going to be thinking about Jethro and be thinking, what's this year going to be like? We all know this already. It's not going to be 100% easy for anyone. We would like 2018 to be like this, where we're just walking, and all we are is just walking because we know the way to go, and we're just going there. There's nothing hard about it, but there's something on our left, something on our right, a barrier, and we're just walking down. But that's not going to be like 2018 for any of us, is it? 2018 is going to be more like this, where we've got directions And someone's pulling us one way, who you like to be with. And someone else is pulling us the other way, who you like to be with as well. And you're just thinking, God, where do I go next? What do I do? And of course, there's always the way back that you've come as well. So it's not just two ways you're thinking, but you're drawn into different ways. The primary focus, I think, for all of us, and again, we know this, we've heard it all before, is to seek God with all our hearts. This coming year, we have to give him every ounce, every gram of our energy and love to follow God. You'll remember some verses from Mark, I'm sure. This is Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's hard enough. But then Jesus says, the second one is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these two. When I've been reading the Bible over the last sort of few weeks, one verse has really stuck out to me. Two verses, rather. And that's Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. And it's almost becoming like the verses for the year, for me. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated them at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Now I'm hoping that this is formatted correctly. Most of it has. So I'm just going to read the same again, but this time this is from the Amplified Bible. 
And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very centre and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. And that's from the Amplified Bible. We're a family here, aren't we? We're a church. We're a church. But I wonder, if we take the second C out, take Christ out of the church, and we put in our own thoughts, our own themes, our own tactics, our own theology, so we take the C away, and we put a T for all those themes and thoughts and theology, if we make things up ourselves, what we're left with is hurt. And I know from people that I talk to in different churches, Christians can hurt each other. Don't mean to, but it happens. And so what we're saying is, Let's keep Christ at the centre of what we are doing. Not following our own ideas, our own theology and tactics and themes, our own T words. But as we follow Christ, so we are going to be a church that is great to be part of. A family that we like. Now, a family, which is what we are, I've got three things to think about. They're interdependent with each other. Everyone in the family is needed, from the oldest person in the family to the youngest, from the person who does the most work around the house to the person who could do more, to the person who sort of uh, does this and who does that. We're all important with each other. And that got me thinking, because I like going around art galleries. Perhaps you do as well. Yes, it's beautiful. And what I find is, like... There's an art gallery. Oh, I know someone there, just on the right-hand side. But when you look at paintings, they're generally not two-dimensional, are they? There's something in the foreground, there's something in the background, there's something else to get your attention. And usually when I go and see a painting for the first time, I have a good look at it. But then when I go again, or maybe an hour later or something, I see something else that I haven't seen before. Again, the formatting's not great, I'm afraid. So there's things in the background and things in the foreground. In Moses' life, Jethro was in the background. But how important was Jethro? It might be today that there's a person A and a person B, because we've all got great gifts and different things that we do all are really important. We've heard lots of talks about those in the past. Person B isn't less important because they're in the background than person A who's at the front. Not at all. So the brilliant thing is we're being dependent, interdependent on each other. We can uh, just love each other knowing that our gifts that we have are all relevant and are all important. (coughs) Psalm 133 verse 1, New International Version. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I like the word unity, but it's a hard word, isn't it? But, of course, 
unity isn't where it's at, really. You might sort of think, what's he going on about? Of course it's where it's at. Because if you look at other versions, unity kind of makes you think everyone's doing the same thing. My Hebrew is not really good, so I have to look at other versions. And in this one, for instance, Holman Christian Standard Bible, it doesn't talk about in, in unity. It talks about in harmony. Now, harmony is when different people are doing different things at the same time. But what does it sound like? Awesome, beautiful, majestic, marvellous. They're all doing different things, but together it sounds brilliant. And to me, this this is a picture of the church where we're all doing different things because we've all got different gifts, but we fit in wonderfully because even though we're not doing the same things, we're in harmony with each other. So together, doing different gifts and listening to God and doing different things as he suggests things to us so we can say, yes, Lord, we're doing different things, but we're still in unity because we're living in harmony with each other. So that's a little bit about interdependence. Also, we've got koinonia or koinonia. And that is a Greek word which is thinking about that which is in common. So as a family, we have that which is in common between us. Also, we want to prove our love to each other. I think uh, one of the, well, several of the epistle writers and Jesus himself wasn't talking about, yes, you can say you love someone, but you have to do it in actions. You have to prove your love. But it's okay saying all these things and saying, yes, it's great to be like Jeffro. He gave advice and he was in the background and he, was, he sort of came at the right time and he looked after Moses with a job. But when we have our family and our workplace, that's the hardest time because we have to think to ourselves, I've got to be Christ-like with people that aren't always wanting to know God so well. We can be a big hero. God calls us to be big heroes ourselves, to be like Jethro. And so what we want to do is think again just about these words that we read. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very centre and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope, the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people, and so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us us who believe. We need to be like Jephro and all these other people that we're going to meet over the coming few weeks because God is calling us to be faithful to others and to be loving and to give advice at the right time. God is not calling us necessarily to stand at the front and do things, but to be faithful, to be humble, to be servant-hearted, to love God more than anyone, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. So as we reflect on those things over the next few minutes, we're going to ask God, Lord, help me to have that servant heart, help me to know that as you were servant of all, as you came to the cross, came to earth, and died for us, help me to be the same. So we're going to worship God in a few moments, but let's just pray and just conclude this part of the service just now. Lord, thank you that you are our best example of a servant heart of humility. That, Lord, you came from heaven and you came and washed your disciples' feet. You came and died for us. Lord, as over the next few weeks we learn about different heroes, help us, Lord, to remember that you are the ultimate hero, 
but to think about all these other people we meet, all the characteristics in their life, so that we can say, yes, help me to be like that person. Help me, Lord, in this case, to have that humility, to say things at the right time, to go at the right time, and to love always, Lord. Amen.